is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. Is there trouble with Moderna's vaccine? Sweden and Finland, they might think so. They've paused giving the vaccine, the Moderna, to men under 30. Concern over a cardiovascular side effect. Merck has its new pill to treat COVID, and it wants to make money off of it. A lot of money. Remember when the doctors talked about the twindemic flu and COVID? Uh, That didn't happen last year, but it might happen this year. But let's start with Moderna. Sweden and Finland. Dr. John Moore is a microbiologist and immunologist at Cornell Medical College. Doctor, why did they tell men under 30 there to avoid Moderna shots? Well, we don't know a great deal because we're only going on news reports and we haven't seen the information in any detail. The the Swedes, the Finns uh, uh, are now filing uh, information with the European equivalent of the CDC. And I guess we'll learn more over the next few weeks. But it's a bit frustrating when you you don't have the information that enables you to judge what's going on. I mean, myocarditis, which is inflammation of the heart muscle, it's not new. Uh, It's been seen with the mRNA vaccines in very, very rare cases all year in the States. And there's a paper this this week in the New England Journal from Israel where they looked at 5.1 million recipients of the Pfizer vaccine, and they found 136 cases of this heart inflammation. Well, that's 0.003%, so it's a pretty low incidence. And of those 136 cases, 129 were mild. So, you know, there were no significant consequences. It was seen and treated by a physician, and the patient recovered within days. It's mostly seen in young men, concentrated in the 15 to 30 age range. So males 16 to 19 were the most at risk. And it's usually seen within three or four days of the second dose. So that's a really solid database. It's there. It's a known side effect. It's generally very mild and it's extremely rare. And we also must point out that heart inflammation is seen in COVID cases, and it's much more significant, and it's much more frequent than is seen with the vaccine. So the vaccines, there's a a mild risk of of heart inflammation, but it prevents a much greater risk of COVID-induced heart inflammation. So, you know, that's the facts as we know it, uh, at least in Israel. In America, the incident rates seem to be similar, and they also seem to be similar for Pfizer and Moderna. So it's a bit puzzling why the Scandinavians are recommending stopping Moderna and switching to Pfizer, uh, because they presumably believe um, that that the incident rate is less with Pfizer, but that's not been seen in America. So again, you know, you're dealing with newspaper stories and it is difficult to figure it all out. Yeah, is it frustrating when, when this happens to you? Because then it just gets out and people start worrying about it or passing the info around without reading or having all the actual data. And then it just creates like this this doubt cloud that's out there. And, and there's already enough of that. Yeah, it is. It's frustrating for the medical professionals who are asked to interpret what's going on. And then, as you say, the public then gets the you know inaccurate information that's amplified on social media. But you know, these cases, again, I'm looking at the Israeli data, they're almost always in young males. So if you're a woman aged 50, your risk of this is absolutely negligible. And even if you're a man or an adolescent male aged 16 to 19, 
you know, it's a pretty minor risk, again, compared to the risks of getting uh, significant uh, infection with, um, with the virus that the vaccines prevent. Am I correct, though, that don't all vaccines, I'm not talking now just about all COVID vaccines, but all vaccines, don't they all, if you really went through the fine print, have some degree of risk for some subsets of people uh, for some kind of, of, a, of a negative effect? And is it that yeah. we're just hyper, hyper targeting the COVID vaccines because of the new? That's absolutely true that there's such a radar uh, focus on the COVID vaccines and there's such an immense amount of data being uh, accumulated on them that you pick up these rare side effects. Uh, but, you know, there are side effects to every medicine that mankind has ever developed, including standard over-the-counter remedies. I mean, my wife can't take aspirin because it makes her stomach upset. I, you know, I crunch the stuff. Um, we're all different and <laughs> we become accustomed to expecting absolutely perfect safety for every medical intervention. And that's just not true. And it's never going to be true because we're all genetically different. And, and there is a huge variation in the, in the human response to different medic medicines. So, yes, we're picking up rare, unfortunate side effects for COVID vaccines, but the benefit of the vaccinations greatly outweigh the side effects. And, you know, this is why we have a CDC and an FDA to monitor what's going on. And the CDC and FDA will be looking at these, the Scandinavian data once it's filed with the European counterparts. And if there's something that we don't know that the Scandinavians have uncovered that we don't know, and that's unlikely, then appropriate guidance will be given to the public. And I, exactly as it should be. All right. Dr. John Moore, microbiologist, immunologist at Cornell Medical College. Doctor, thanks. Merck is hoping for approval of its new pill to treat COVID. It costs about $18 to make one dose. So you think the markup to make a profit would still make a dose affordable? Well, not so much. Yeah, go to like 50 bucks, right? Yeah. Merck selling the pill to the U.S. government for $712 a dose, more than 40 times what it costs to produce. Melissa Barber, Ph.D. candidate in population health sciences at Harvard University, crunched the numbers to calculate Merck's huge price markup. Uh, Melissa, after running the numbers the first time, did, did you check the second time to see if there was really that big of a markup? Uh, to be honest, I did it four times. I called my collaborator. I said, can you check the numbers? I re-downloaded the data. I, I, I ran it 10 times. And I've done this hundreds of times, these kinds of calculations. So I am used to these kinds of markups. But but yeah, I, I did check it many, many times. Okay, but 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 to be uh, fair to Merck, uh, is it not the case that that most drugs, uh, the actual manufacturing cost to the pharmaceutical company, as opposed to the cost that the pharmaceutical company passes on to consumers uh, and or insurance companies, it, there's always a huge difference, right? I mean, sure, but do you think that is a matter of good public policy? <laughs> Uh, I mean, the public invested in this drug. They should be able to access it at a reasonable price. How much did we invest in this drug? Because the government did give some money, I think, what, at the outset? And now there's arguments between the feds and Merck and some of the watchdogs about when it was given and who owned the rights then. And, and so what do we know about how much we actually put into this? Because, again, if we put a bunch of money into it at the start, then why don't we get the discount on the back end? <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's a good question, and we need a lot more transparency. So here's what we know. Molnupiravir was developed because the, the government-funded scientists at Emory University, they were looking for an antiviral to treat Venezuelan equine encephalitis. 
So George Painter, one of the key scientists, he's himself estimated that he's received at least, so he and his group have received at least $35 million in federal funding to develop, to develop the drug. It's possible that there's more. We only know this even from a freedom of information request done by an NGO, Knowledge Ecology International. So it is, as you say, right, the government invested and now they're, they're paying just these crazy, crazy markups. It's just this emotional roller coaster of public funding for, for drug development in the U.S. For a huge list of medicines that we use today, we developed them at American universities, and that's a great success of America's investments in science. But then once the medicine shows promise, it just gets handed over to the private sector with little or no strings attached. And that's, that's just heartbreak. Private companies hold monopoly on the medicine and then charge the public extortionate prices. That's not right now, that's not right in a pandemic, but that's also not right as a general matter of, of public policy. So the solution in your view is what? Oh, that's a very tricky question. I am a cost of manufacturing researcher. I am a uh, hoping to pro- provide some transparency so people at least can ask the question, well, we know how much this cost to makes, how much is a reasonable profit margin? How much is a profit margin? that you know, works within the system of innovation that we wanna have as a society, I think, I think that's beyond me. But what I do think is important is people need to understand that the US is going to pay $712 and it's possible that if Merck enforces the patent in other countries, that Malawi, that Bolivia, they might be paying that too. So it doesn't make sense that they should be paying those insane markups. It's just not feasible and it's not a path to end the pandemic. I do wanna note that we're still waiting for, for final stage public um, clinical trial data uh, on this on this drug. So it, we don't know for sure that it works. The money that the government gave to, to buy, you know, these two million courses of this, and that was the billion dollars, is that to buy it for all the people who are going to need it and give it to them? Or is that just to secure that amount of pills? And then if you go to the hospital and they say, uh, or your doctor's office, because you, you test when this is approved, and they give you the pill to, to head off all the symptoms, or at least most of them, do you pay again? Like, is this to buy them and give them to us for free, like the vaccine? Or did we just buy them to have the right to use them and, and give them to people and then charge them uh, once they leave the doctor's office? I don't know that anyone knows the answer to that question. Um, I certainly don't. The um, I, 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 let, let me take the the uh, I, I feel a little uncomfortable doing it, but I'm going to take the 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 part of the uh, the dogged capitalist here for the sake of our, <laughs> our discussion. Uh, sure. So, uh, you know, I, I own the pharmaceutical company and OK, so maybe there was uh, federal money that went into the some of the research and development. But, you know, my company is going to have to do the marketing that comes out of out of my company's uh, uh, pocket. Uh, we're the ones that have to send and sales representatives to physicians' offices all over the world to try to sell this thing. It's going to cost a, a lot of money. So why are we not entitled to make back what we think is, is a for us, a, a fair amount? And people who can't afford it in our system in the U.S., uh, if they have insurance, the, they get a, marked, a markedly lower cost, of course, with their insurance. And if they're on something like Medicaid, then the government picks up the tax, or taxpayers do. So uh, why is that not a, a fair argument if I'm a company? Sure. So pharma companies, they're not charities. No one's saying they shouldn't make a profit. But for publicly funded inventions, there's a number. All those things you described, the, the marketing, the, the, the end stage trials, the, the final development, that, that has a number. And I think the public has the right to know the number and then to, to make a decision for, for what that profit market should be. It's not just an ethical argument. It's a legal argument, too. Right. 
So um, because the US government funded the basic research, it, it has something called margin rights. So under Baidu, it means that the US government has a right, should they choose to exercise it, to break monopolies when the inventors that they fund fail to make inventions available to the public on what's called reasonable terms. Now, what does reasonable terms mean? That is a really contentious um, discussion that, that doesn't have a clear answer. But to me, the kind of markups that we're seeing for Malnupiravir, they're not reasonable. So that could be threatened in order to lower the price tag either now or maybe when we go back to the table or just yeah. to take the thing over and say, hey, this is for the public good. And we funded the initial version of this. So technically it's ours now. Yeah. I mean, when the Biden administration places another order, they should remind American Ridgeback of the funding of their margin rights and negotiate prices that are, are realistic. Melissa Barber, PhD candidate, population health sciences at Harvard University, and uh, did all the math, as you heard on this, and found the big markup. Melissa, thanks for talking to us. Coming up after a short break, the flu might make a comeback this winter. We were warned last winter about a twindemic, the flu and COVID, running wild at the same time. Well, it didn't happen as the flu hardly went around. Many of us were still at home. A lot of places like bars and movie theaters, those were closed. But now, uh, is the flu going to come back? Dr. Donald Ford, chair of family medicine at the Cleveland Clinic. Uh, doctor, probably not a great year to skip the flu shot, huh? Yes, we're very much encouraging everybody to get their flu shot. Uh, of course, the flu shots are available for uh, some of the age ranges, specifically in kids, that the COVID vaccines are not available for. Uh, we approached last year the same way we tried to get everybody protected as much as we could, and that was before we had the COVID vaccines. So really, um, uh, strategically, nothing's changed. Do you just, uh, I don't know, shake your head as a physician when you see the figures? I mean, even before COVID, right, uh, the vaccination rate for flu in this country is what, about maybe 50 percent, maybe 60 percent in a good year? Uh, and now we have the uh, we have COVID as well. So you've got all these people running around who they, they're not getting a flu shot. They're not getting the COVID shot. It's got to make you just want to pull your hair out. Well, um, what, whatever there is left of my hair, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, the, truthfully, the, the 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 fact of whether I understand people's motivations or not is not really the point. The point is, can I encourage them to do the right thing? Can we all, as neighbors, as friends, as part of a community, um, encourage each other to do the right thing and protect each other? If we do that, we're we're going to have a good result. First off, it's radio, so you have great hair, long flowing locks. Nobody knows. Uh, second, let's talk about this this twin demic idea because we really lucked out last year, right? More things were closed. There were lots of masking, so like we didn't see the flu. Uh, do you expect it to be bad this year? And also, can you catch both of these at the same time? If I tried to predict anything, I'd just end up laughing at myself. Uh, so much has changed over the past couple of years and, and has been hard to predict. Uh, we are concerned that there could be more of a presence of flu this year. We think that uh, that part of what kept the flu away last year was not just that people were getting vaccinated. Uh, we kind of used this, the, the, the presentation of the idea, hey, we can't vaccinate against COVID. At least we can vaccinate against the flu. And that was fairly effective for a lot of people. Um, we don't have that as much, and you're pointing out the numbers, which are true. Um, so, so we do have concerns that we could be seeing a lot more flu. People are doing more socializing than they were a year ago. People are more hesitant to wear masks. 
So uh, all of those things really did play a role in reducing the, the burden of, of influenza last year. We'll have to see what this year brings. Let's circle back for a minute to what you were just saying before about, uh, you know, you would hope if, if in effect, you can sort of educate, you know, patients and and all that, uh, uh, that they would do the right thing for themselves and also for the community. But what do you tell somebody, and I'm sure you've heard this from people uh, when when it comes to the flu shot, who say, I've never gotten the flu before, so why do I need a flu shot? I ask them if they'll take me to Vegas because they must be very lucky. (laughs) Does that, um, does that work? Well, sometimes. Okay. Sometimes it takes a laugh. Um, the, truthfully, uh, you know, a lot of people don't ever get the flu. And, and I, I'm afraid that's what makes some people a little cavalier about getting the flu shot. Influenza can be a very serious illness. Influenza can be a, a fatal illness. Um, there we see typically the ends of the spectrum in terms of age. The, the very old and the very young are the most vulnerable. Those in the middle are uh, are more uh, apt to to be able to ha- work their way through a, through a moderate to uh, mild illness, um, but you know the truth is that we've been able to keep it down by by a lot of public health measures and and good disbursement of the vaccine. So there may be people who say that who really never got it, and I hope they never do, uh, because it can be a real uh, real setback to your health, and and in some cases are really devastating. Dr. Donald Ford, chair of the family medicine uh, at the Cleveland Clinic. Doctor, thanks. A man in Texas apparently thought it would be funny to pull off a COVID hoax. The man posted messages on Facebook in April 2020 claiming he had paid someone infected with the virus to lick items at grocery stores in the San Antonio area to scare people away. Federal officials, though, did not find it very amusing. They arrested and charged him for carrying out a hoax involving biological weapons. He was recently sentenced to 15 months in prison. This is an Odyssey original. You can find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.